I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. Hello, everybody. So today I'll be talking to Dr. Christine Lee, who is also known as the procrastination coach. And she's going to share how she went from being a chronic procrastinator to a successful clinical psychologist who now specializes in helping people overcome the self-limiting beliefs that are keeping them stuck. So if you want to know how to override the urge to overthink all of your goals, this episode is for you. A major symptom of procrastination is when you feel like you don't have time because you're so stuck getting simple little things done that that feels hard, that of course you don't have time then for the bigger things that you know you're capable of. To me, procrastination is like being caught in the weeds. You just can't move forward. You feel really stuck. And often when you feel stuck, the story in your head is that you're suffering from a lack of time. Like there's just not enough time for you to get everything done. And ultimately, the belief under that is a limiting belief that you don't have access to the same opportunities that other people have. And so, of course, that belief makes you feel overwhelmed. And it makes it even less likely that you'll actually start, much less finish, any of the goals that you have for yourself, the things on your vision board. But where we're going to start in this episode is that it's not about time. You already know that you have the same 24 hours every day and seven days every week that everybody else has. The real problem is the story you're telling yourself about why you can't get your shit together. And while the story you're telling yourself may be that there's some inherent flaw in your personality and that you're just not capable of managing your time and managing tasks, really procrastination is just a habit. It's just a thought loop. And before you can change your behavior, you have to start by changing the beliefs you have about yourself. You have to shift into a growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. Let me explain the difference really fast. A growth mindset is when you believe that you can learn anything. You can do anything anybody else can do. Like it's not that complicated, right? It might not be easy. It might take a lot of practice. It might not come naturally. But a growth mindset says, for sure I can do that. I can learn how to do that. The alternative, which is where we get stuck, is in a fixed mindset. A fixed mindset means that you are who you are, and that just is what it is. So when you try something new and fail to knock it out of the park on day one, you see that as evidence that something isn't possible for you. And so with a fixed mindset, instead of trying harder and asking for help or looking for resources or practicing more or chunking your goals down into smaller, more 
doable action items, you end up just giving up because the fixed mindset is telling you it's not possible anyway. So there's no point, right? Now, as I share with Dr. Christine in this episode, I don't actually classify myself as a procrastinator. I'm just the opposite. I'm a high-functioning overachiever. But as we had this conversation, I could then in hindsight see that for sure I've had to overcome procrastination in many areas. And that's the thing that we often fail to notice about ourselves is that we are not black or white, all or nothing creatures. Like there's no species of animal that is a procrastinator that is somehow different biologically from a high functioning overachiever. It's just not true that how we do one thing is how we do everything. How we show up in any context in any given moment is unique. And while it can be helpful to notice trends and predictable patterns and know where we get in our own way, it can also be very limiting to assume that we know ourselves because then we are blind to limitations that are keeping us stuck. And in hindsight, I can clearly see how I procrastinated for years before I finally acknowledged that I did have the power to address my drinking problem. I was stuck in that daily cycle of detox to retox. You know, I woke up every single morning swearing to myself that today was going to be different, but I wasn't doing anything different. So it's not surprising that I showed up every single night at happy hour right on time without batting an eye. And that's why I'm excited to bring you this episode, because whether or not you identify as a procrastinator or just the opposite, some sort of high-functioning, perfectionistic, overachiever, triple type A personality plus, the truth is that whenever you feel stuck, it is not the situation holding you back. It's your beliefs about the situation. It's the way you're thinking and perceiving that are, is causing your behaviors. And trying to change your behavior without changing the beliefs that are causing the behavior is an exercise in insanity. So Dr. Christine and I get into the exact beliefs that you may find are holding you back, and she shares some fabulous tools that you can start applying immediately to move yourself forward, like today. So enjoy the interview. All right. So Dr. Christine, thank you so much for joining me today. It's so good to have you. I've been following you on Instagram as the procrastination coach. Do you want to just share with my audience who you are, what you do, why you do it, how you became a procrastination coach from actually being a doctor? Thank you so much, Colleen. I've been following you too for a bit and I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on your wonderful show. I am the procrastination coach. I made up that name about a decade ago when I decided to take my expertise and my interests online. And as a clinical psychologist back then, it really was kind of something that I felt like I needed to keep on the down low because I didn't know what other people would think. And I didn't know other people who were doing the same. And now pretty much everybody is getting on board. And I've learned a lot in the past decade of being online and in really digging really deep into the topic of what makes people procrastinate, but even more importantly, what keeps people procrastinating. And I come to it from a very personal position because all the years 
prior to my getting online and some of the years since, I have been known to be a very severe and very chronic procrastinator. And I think different factors go into that, including the fact that I think I'm just not naturally an organized person. And as you can imagine, if you're not naturally organized, you're going to run into some difficulty with clutter and with time management and with keeping a schedule, keeping to deadlines. And I had all of those issues. I still have some of the clutter issue, but most of the other ones I have now solved and I call it a recovery too. So I say that I'm a procrastination recovery expert and it's been a pleasure to help people to recognize that procrastination is quite a serious issue. It needs more attention than oftentimes it's given. And I think it's a humongous relief to people when they realize, oh, there's some quick strategies, some easy strategies that I can invest in energetically so that I can have a better life, not in the future, but starting today. And I love being that person who can bring this information to people. So I would identify kind of as the exact opposite of a procrastinator. I am definitely a rip the bandaid off sort of person. I understand procrastination and I know when I'm doing it, but I wouldn't say that is something that's part of my personality. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious as to what it looks like and feels like to be a procrastinator because I'm assuming, especially as you refer to it as kind of a recovery, that this is a secret that you don't want people to know this about you. And it might be similar to over drinking where you're sitting in a room full of people drinking and somebody's, oh, sometimes I drink too much. And you're like, yeah, no, you don't. Do you have vodka under your sink? Then no, we're not talking about the same thing. And so I can imagine there's a, a level of shame with this identity, but can you just help my listeners be able to see does if they qualify as a procrastinator? Thanks for that lovely prompt. I I have lots of different responses. One of them is that from my own situation, I'll start from there. I didn't know there was any other way to be for myself. I could see that other people were like you. They could rip the Band-Aid off. They could study right on cue. They could show up on time for lunch, all these things. But I just assumed that I was kind of created this way where time really wasn't necessarily a dependable friend or ally. And I was oftentimes chasing time instead of figuring out how to use my time. So that's, I think, one experience. If you feel, it for our listeners, if you feel like you're always feeling short on time or needing to make up for time or panicking about time, that may be a sign that you could use a little bit of coaching around how to better use your time. And there, I think, is societal judgment around not being timely, about not being orderly, about not having your schedule just so, not necessarily jumping into things at the ready. And there can be so many different reasons, not just procrastination, that people might hold back from jumping into something new. Novelty can be a reason, fear of judgment, fear of looking like a failure, even when they feel really competent. So procrastination really is a mixture of all of these 
concepts, time, social judgment, how you regulate your emotions, your plans for the future. Are you able to plan for your future? And I think there is a a good level of shame and embarrassment causing vibes coming from society. we're, We're taught really to value other people's time, to value our own time. And if you find it difficult to do that, yes, you might begin to develop a secret private relationship with that where you're struggling internally, but you're not necessarily talking to anybody about it. You might be apologizing for lateness, but that's different than saying, you know, I've been struggling with this my whole life and I'm looking for ways to learn how to do this differently. And those are two very different pieces of communication. So I'm really big on thoughts and what it sounds like in your head to experience what you're talking about. But so I'd like you to share what it sounds like in your head if you're dealing with this, but upstream from that, or actually downstream, what does it look like? Like how would, how, because if you're a people pleaser and you're wanting to make people happy and to achieve certain things, how does it translate in real life, because you're a doctor, you obviously got through school. How much of this is an actual problem in reality? And how much of this is internal dialogue? And can you kind of explain the symptoms of both? I would say it's it's very much both because all of our actions stem from beliefs and thoughts that we have about ourselves, about the world, about our work. And so every problem, every solution originates from the thoughts that we have. And I would say procrastinators have a way of leaning towards the negative where, oh, this is not possible. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. This is the wrong moment. I'm feeling too afraid. That is both a feeling and a thought. And I feel like I need more time. That could also be at that. Although there's the desire to achieve that next goal, submit that next paper or project, there also is this idea that time will run unlimited and there are few consequences for delay. So that's also a piece of procrastination where there's a little bit of denial around the cost of delaying, the cost of not doing what you can do in the moment. And I think that was big for me where I just felt, you know, I was young. I was much younger when I was doing this much more actively. And I felt like if I just stayed still, things would get better. If I just took a nap, things might get better. If I just hoped and felt like I'm just a good person, this will get better. But none of those things actually made the issues any better because it's only through taking the action that you can get relief from the stress of having something to do. So that's the action piece. And action-wise, it's isolating yourself. It's depriving yourself of fun events like hanging out with your friends or relaxing or even having a proper meal where you start depriving yourself of proper self-care. You know, you get much less sleep. You're not seeing the daylight hours. You're not showing up for class sometimes. I'm talking about many of your listeners are beyond the classroom, but you can all bear (laughs) with me that we've all been there where maybe you were too exhausted, tired, or procrastinating to get to class that one day. But the same 
if it's the workplace or taking care of your household, where there are just moments where you feel like you don't have it in you, you feel behaviorally stuck. You feel almost as if you're paralyzed from movement because of things like overwhelm. So it may not be one particular thing that is getting you to feel stuck, but it can be the compilation of all the things that are undone. Oftentimes people come to me saying that they're overwhelmed and I just hear that as they are looking at all the things that need to get done all at the same time, which then sets the body and the mind into a state of overwhelm. Who wouldn't get overwhelmed <laughs> with that view? And so of course the the treatment or the idea is to get them to begin to calm the nervous system down, breathe, redo the thinking and start to focus on one thing at a time, which is a very simple, but very powerful thing to do. Tying this in with the nervous system, it sounds to me as a person who identifies kind of as the opposite, that it might be a reaction to overwhelm. So it's a stress response. And for me, I respond to stress by pushing, pushing, do more. And other people, you know, they might go more into that dissociative denial, you know, I can't do anything and I'm over here trying to do everything, but it's still a nervous system response. Can you speak to the nervous system of a procrastinator and what's really going on with the stress response? Before I try to answer that, I would say my reaction to the push is that can also be a little bit detrimental to productivity. Oh, for sure. <laughs> That's how you get to burnout and floor six of the psychiatric hospital. Been there, done. Uh, yeah, because there is still that fear underneath the right. level of pushing is that I'm not going fast enough. This is not good enough. I'm not good enough. There's some trouble that's going to be ahead because of all of these thoughts and beliefs. And that pressure is what the body and mind are paying attention to. So when it comes to nervous system, when our body is uh, given a sense or senses that there's some danger, internal or external, it will prioritize that. So it will turn its attention and resources to attending to that, making sure you steer clear of the danger and the threat and that all the body's resources are oriented towards that. And so you can imagine that is not great for focusing on <laughs> your next new creation, something that is already a difficult thing to do, but then it's made more difficult by the fact that your body is really stressed, your nervous system is at a stressed out point and heightened, and you are then in that moment also coping with perhaps not your highest level coping strategies like denial, like dissociation, like hiding out, like not telling anybody that you need help, right? There might be many resources right by you. And that's another tip that I offer people that communication is basically the world's greatest solution. <laughs> when you can talk about a problem or an idea that's halfway towards finding the solution. When we can't verbalize what's going on, that's when the energy starts to get blocked up. That's when we start to feel unwell. That's when we start to feel high levels of distress. And that's when we might turn to things like procrastination or other 
addictive patterns to help us get through that in-between moment. I think what I love about what I'm hearing from you is that at the root of any behavior pattern that you're not happy with, shifting your focus and realizing the calls coming from inside the house, I can imagine that as a procrastinator, you think your problem is all the shit that's not done. Yes. And so realizing that this is a nervous system reaction, and really it's just the flip side of the coin to the crazy lady like me down the street who's, you know, done a thousand things before breakfast and then wonder why is she crazy? Yeah. It's just the flip side of the coin. We're both having the same fears that, and we're just responding differently. Our nervous systems are responding differently. So what I hear you saying about asking for help is such a powerful suggestion because I know for me, I would procrastinate asking for help because I just need to get this shit done. That's the problem. And so can you talk about what it means to get help for a thinking problem, a procrastination problem? What are the tools that you use? There's so many different things, including breath, just stopping. And even before I record a podcast with a guest, I request some time to take three deep breaths just because I feel it's an automatic reset. No matter where my life or my thoughts have been 10 minutes before, I feel I can take charge, but not have to do this with a tight grip, (laughs) tightly gripped fists. It's really just saying I can change the pattern just because I feel like it, just because the time demands it, just because I had that thought that I have this tool that I can use. So there are, of course, language shifts that we can use so that we are guiding ourselves with comforting, positive, forward-moving language. And I, I always say to my clients that this isn't a desperate rush to getting things done. This is a space to feel safer so that you can choose when and how and what you want to get done. Because I don't want to turn people into productivity robots. It's really not my aim. My aim is to have people heal from the inside so that they can really enjoy themselves. I think enjoyment is actually a much higher priority than productivity. And so any thoughts that are in that camp of thinking, in that bucket of thinking, that's also part of your recovery package is to say, you know what, there's no one after me. You know what, there's no real such thing as failure. There are just lessons. You know what, I can try this again while feeling calmer and more excited about the possibilities rather than looking at all the things that I'm worried about. There will always be things you could possibly worry about, but I like to train people to keep their energy at a level where they're really protected from those worrisome thoughts because life happens. Worries happen. (laughs) So instead of giving me a generic list of what recovery looks like for your average procrastinator, can you share a little bit about your own journey of before and after, how you realized this was a thinking problem and what it looked like to recover because I know you didn't just wake up one day and, oh, I get it. I'll just think differently. Okay, cool. Talk to me a little bit about the transformation, the timeline, what it felt like, all of that. 
there was actually a day where I said, if I don't change, things are going to go south. So sometimes it's, of course, there were many multiple year processes involved in this, but there also was a particular day where I thought about the clutter that I really needed to make a radical shift for the sake of my household and my well-being. And that was really a wonderful day because I wasn't afraid. I just felt like this is the time. It's really, we've come to this point where I don't think I can go any more chaotically. <laughs> and it's time for me to figure out what I need to do to emerge from this particular state. And my own journey, I have summarized actually in an acronym called SMAC, which is meant to be smack procrastination away, not do damage to yourself. And it's, if I may, I'll explain all the different components. S is simplicity. The first thing is really to just decide that simple is the way to go. So I actually started in my closet and I just decided one morning that it was after that day of reckoning <laughs> that I needed to just get rid of the things that weren't working in my closet. I needed to pare it down. I needed to make it make sense. And immediately I felt the benefits of that, including that the rest of my mornings went much more smoothly and I was much more timely because my closet was in relative order. And I thought, wow, that was powerful, but also really easy to do. It actually didn't take much time. And I knew what I didn't like in my closet. So it was okay. It's, everybody can do this. So simplicity though, is I think a great principle to fall back on when you're feeling stuck, because I think we have sometimes this belief that the more complicated, the better, or the more sophisticated or the more items I have to manipulate, the more impressive it is. But then you get yourself into trouble because you can't think straight and you have too much stuff. And then lo and behold, your time is drifting away in the process as you're accumulating all these things to get through and help you. Uh, like all the online software that we were talking about before we pressed record, we could drown in online software and not get our message out. And I think that's not the point. So simplicity is one. M is for mindfulness. And for me, that just means keeping yourself really situated in the present moment. So to keep it really simple and to not spend your time regretting the things that have or have not happened in the past and to avoid predicting or dreading or fearing or even hoping for, I would say, the future. You have your big dream, but focus in the present moment because that's where you can actually achieve your future dreams. And when you know that, then you're actually kind of naturally pushing procrastination aside. If you're focused in the present moment, you're basically not procrastinating. So that's kind of like a ninja trick. And then A is anxiety reduction, which is one of my specialties. I think you mentioned, Colleen, about what it feels like from the inside. Procrastination feels like a lot of different levels and layers of anxiety. Sometimes it borders on panic and other times it's just this lingering pressure that keeps you from being able to get to sleep right on time or wake up with a pleasant feeling in your heart and your energy bank. You feel, wow, here's another day where I have to feel really stressed out all day long. So anything you can do to reduce your anxiety, whether it's meditation, I'm a big proponent of exercise and I like the calming exercises, but I also feel that 
for those of us who can get overworked with stress, the cardio, the aerobic, a little bit goes so far. And I use that with all my clients, whether they're procrastinating or not, because I think it's really the foolproof, fail-proof way to see an improvement in well-being. And then we have C, which is communication, which we've talked about a bit. Really just communicate honestly, openly, and directly as best as you can. Understanding that there may be limits or temporary limits to that, but really knowing that the goal is to be out there with your language, to be representing yourself and your situation, and to be connecting with the people that you're talking to. You're not just talking around them or indirectly, you're really trying to make sure that the other person gets what you're trying to communicate and can therefore help you, or you can be a help with them. It goes both ways. So when communication is open, both people really benefit. That's my belief. And then K is the most important one, kindness to self, which I know your audience knows at this point is just the paramount key to wellness, key to feeling calm and capable and key to feeling like you're okay. Really at base, we all just want to know that we're okay and we all want to function with that belief consistently. And sometimes it's hard to do. So keep that principle tucked away with the SMAC principle. I love that. And come up with that. How (laughs) did you, what was your journey where that because I imagine as a clinical psychologist, you are educated and schooled in all of those principles, but how do you go from theory to practice? You know, what did it look like implementing? Was it an overnight, aha, oh, I just need to do this differently? Where did you struggle? What was easy? I would say the real struggle was the procrastination. The Mm -hmm. rest of it was kind of much more fun because I was discovering different parts of myself and different ways of thinking and being. And so that I'm always up for, which is why I'm also well-suited to be a psychologist because I love to see how other people's brain brains work and what they choose to make out of things, right? And everybody's going to choose something slightly different than I would, but that's supposed to be. And I just find that to be endlessly fascinating. And uh, I came up with the smack in the minivan. <laughs> I came up with the acronym. It just came together. That was a long time ago. And I came up with it because I used the things that really moved the needle for me, that really made me heal or function a lot better, right? When you allow your anxiety to run rampant, you're not really going to be at your maximum potential level of thought or clarity or creativity. And I just learning, I like my brain. I actually have a great brain, (laughs) a problem solving brain, a very capable brain, but it was so bogged down with to-do list items and tracking time and fearing things that I could never really access that very well. Some of it got through and yes, I did get the PhD, but Uh, wow, if I could have gone through my program with the clarity that I have now, it would have been a totally different game. So what I'm really interested now is talking to Dr. Christine and knowing the difference between or understanding the difference between therapy and coaching, because, you know, most people I can imagine would go and seek a therapist and 
when you, as a coach, they are coming to you for a very specific problem that they've identified with the procrastination. Can you talk a little bit about, based on your clinical background, what's the difference and how would a person know whether they need to seek a therapist or whether coaching would help them? What's the difference? These are great questions. Thank you for asking them. I'm not sure I have a definitive answer, but I do serve in both roles. But that's because I created the second role for myself. And for me, the coaching, I think, is just a much more flexible framework because with therapy, I think the the general expectation is that it's a longer term commitment. It's a long term commitment, actually. It's for the time that the patient feels they need you or they're interested in working with you. And that can be a very long time, as you know. And with coaching, I feel like there's more of a permission, if I may, to be more directly involved with the person's strategizing and the ideas and the discussion even. And I think even when I was training in psychology, I was trained in the cognitive behavioral technique. And that is a more direct, structured, involved, actively, you know, where the therapist is actively involved in getting the patient to alter their thinking. And I really thought this makes a lot of sense to me. I could see the powerful effects it had on that particular client population. I was working inpatient on the eating disorders unit. And there was a reason why those patients did better with cognitive behavioral work because their bodies were in distress at the time. So to to ask for reflections and insights at the time might've been a big ask. And so I saw the wisdom of that it clicked with how my brain works. And I saw the work of helping people to heal and recover in a different way. I knew that I had now a bigger bag of tools that I could use with people. And then I've enjoyed really developing tools of my own based on what has worked for me and what I've seen other people grab onto and latch onto and it's principles of reinforcement, you know, that people like to be complimented and rewarded and praised and seen as good and improving rather than being criticized or judged or held to a different standard than they're capable of. All of those things that aren't really my jam anyway. (laughs) I'm an optimistic person by birth and I like to be happy. I like to feel happy. I like other people to feel happy if I can help them get there. So it's a mixed bag of tools. And to answer your question more clearly, therapy and coaching, there may not be the hugest of differences. If your clients are wondering who should I pick then, My thought there is that you should search for the person that you feel most comfortable with, the person who encourages you both directly and indirectly to be yourself and to be most actively, healthily communicating. And when you feel that level of basic trust, I think you're pretty much lucky and on your way. Yeah, the science shows that the number one predictor of movement for the client or the patient is the relationship and feeling safe and trust trusting. I define coaching like a therapist a therapist is more about 
helping you make sense of the past, making you feel comfortable. And as a coach, you're paying me to push you out of your comfort zone, which denotes a base level of mental wellness that you have to come in with. You know, that's why as coaches, you know, I personally am not qualified to work with, you know, active trauma and all of, you know, diagnose mental health disorders and all that. Like I take the person who's, I can't get my shit done and I'm drinking or I'm procrastinating or whatever. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. And I really like being a coach because I feel like it's very action oriented and you can get results really quickly with the right small micro actions. And then it's just becomes a self-rewarding process. I've always wished that I had kind of a dual certification where I could also understand and apply therapy. But the longer I coach, the more I'm like, I'm happy to refer people to a therapist. If they're not making progress, then, you know, then that's not my jam anymore. Yeah. I I like the way you describe that people who are seeking coaching, they already have established kind of a desire for change. And that's a very powerful mover for change and a creator of change. And yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. I love it. So if you could tell the listeners how to find you, what you offer, you know, I know you have a podcast and you also have Instagram, but why should they go over and subscribe and how could they work with you if they wanted to? I would love your followers to join my tribe as well. You're all welcome to join in. I'm procrastination coach pretty much everywhere, including my website. My podcast is Make Time for Success, and Colleen and I are going to be doing an episode for you soon, later today. I'm excited about that. And I offer different offerings. My main one of late is called the Success Lab, and it's a membership for people where we have basic structure and basic accountability with my coaching on top of that. So it's been a pleasure to run. It is like a family to me. It helps me to get my weekends in order as we meet every Saturday. And I'm happy to to invite anyone who might want that kind of work to work with me in the success lab. And I can just drop that link if that's okay. Yeah, I'll put it in my show notes. Okay, terrific. It's it's procrastinationcoach.com slash success lab. And you can follow me and and stay connected with me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and my website. Thank you. You know, one of the reasons why I love doing interviews, you know, I haven't done a lot of them and I'm just starting is because like we said, finding the right person to listen and learn from is so important. And I know a lot of my listeners will never work with me directly as their coach, but I like kind of being a connector, a gateway. And so somebody who's listening to my podcast and likes what I have to say, but can bounce on over to you, like maybe you have what they need. And that's what we're all here to do is just find your people, find the person that's going to help you move to the next level. And, you know, and then we all continue to grow together in a larger community sense. I absolutely love what you do. I get a lot from you and I appreciate you you being here today to share your offering and little bits of your corner of the universe with my audence. And I know they will as well. Thank you, Colleen, for inviting me to meet your 
corner of the universe. And I think we just benefit as podcasters and colleagues to get to know each other as well, because we're also in need of support. And we're also in need of kind of this refresher of what are we doing? How are we reaching our people? How can we help each other to communicate, right? Communication has been maybe the big theme of today's session. (laughs) And thank you for helping me to share what I have to communicate. Like you said, the key to recovery is being able to articulate, being able to speak and finding a story. It's creating a narrative. I mean, even procrastination, that's just a word with meaning and your nervous system responds. And, you know, same thing with alcohol use disorder or something like that. It's a word that describes some stuff, but working to expand your own narrative by exploring different coaches and different approaches It's just beautiful. And I know I get my best podcasts because I listen to an interview on somebody's podcast and then I go get on theirs. And so listeners, I encourage you to check out Dr. Christine at Procrastination Coach. And Christine, thank you for being here. Thank you, Colleen. Good luck, everyone. Thanks for listening, everybody. So if you like this episode, please go to my show's homepage, the Recover with Colleen page, and subscribe. Let the algorithm know that you support the show so that the algorithm shows me to other people looking for content. Um, Also, share this episode with a friend or on your social so that other people can find me. And get in the show notes if you want to connect with Dr. Christine Lee. I'll put a link to her website. And if you are not following me on Instagram, find and follow me at Recover with Colleen. Also in the show notes, I'm going to put a link to my free training on how to reclaim your power over alcohol. You know, you don't have to quit drinking forever. You know from other episodes that I have reintroduced alcohol, and I love to share with you the process for that. But before you can reintroduce alcohol, you do need to stop and address the beliefs that drive you to drink. And my free training will lay out the exact action steps that you need to take to go from being a daily or binge drinker to being a mindset master who can trust yourself with or without a drink in your hand because you know you're focused on bigger and better things. I teach that pursuing happiness instead of sobriety is the only way to reconnect with a higher sense of purpose so that you can feel passionate and powerful in all areas of your life because truly happy people don't drink themselves into a stupor. And on next week's episode, come back and listen because I've got another fabulous interview about exercise and menopause. I'm going to be talking about how I went from a gym rat to a couch potato in early recovery and how changing my beliefs about what it means to be healthy and why I actually want to work out dramatically improved my motivation to just get started and how simple and short workouts have restored my physical strength and confidence to keep going without feeling like I have to spend hours going to the gym. Actually, as I'll share next week, I spend minutes in the gym. And next week, I'm going to bring you an expert that explains exactly why your approach to exercise has to change as you transition into menopause. So I'll see you next week.